Good morning, friends. For those of you who have been up since four, I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Thomas, and it's a joy to be on staff here at Calvary, and it's my privilege to be able to open up the scriptures with us on the weekends. And we're going to continue in our series that we've been in for several months now in the book of James. We're actually going to wind it down next weekend. We're going to close it out. And uh, it's always a sad and sorrowful thing when you end a, a long study like this. But we want to get the most out of it as possible. And so we're going to be in that text that's, that's just read. And so before we jump in, will you just pray with me that the Lord would be our teacher today? Lord, we have gathered in this place to meet with you. And Father, you have a desire to meet with us, a greater desire to meet with us than we may even have an appetite to hear from you. And so, Father, we ask that the Spirit of God would do the work that only you can do in each individual in this room, that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them, that you would uplift them, that you would correct them from ways that will cause harm in their life, and that you will build them up as the children of God. And so give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning the words that you have given us through your half-brother James. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It happens at my house somewhat regularly. My wife and I will be cooking dinner, and one of our youngest kids, so I have two girls and two boys, so now the youngest are the boys. The boys are, are more prone to this than the girls. They'll come up and say, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. And we'll say, oh, you're in luck, bud. We are in the process of making dinner right now. Yeah, but... I'm hungry right now. And then you say, well, but I, I just need you to be what? What do you say? Patient. And you say, I just need you to be patient. And whenever you say that to somebody, it's like the healing balm to an anxious soul. <laughs> you're just like, I just need you to be patient right now, ma'am. I just need you to be patient right now, sir. And you're like, oh, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I was all spun up and I was going to punch you in the face. But now that you've said that, oh, thank you. It never works, does it? And so we live in a society that it's just hard to be patient in. We have Amazon Prime, which will deliver you something by the time maybe you get home from church today. We have on-demand streaming and on-demand sports. All of our pictures are no longer photographs in which you would take a picture and then wait a long time to develop it and then go get your photographs and find out they were terrible pictures. <laughs> you have a cell phone in your pocket in which you're able to take a picture, and as soon as you take a picture of someone, what do they say to you? Let me see it. Let me see it. Make sure it's a good one, because if it's not a good one, we'll take another one. It's almost impossible to be patient today in our life. And so when James says, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, we're like, why? Why would we be patient? And especially in this text that we're in, so we're, there's kind of two parts that we're looking at. We looked at part one last week, and we're going to look at part two today. Part one last week was, was James condemning the oppressors. There were this, this wealthy landowning class that was oppressing these, this small Jewish Christian minority groups all scattered around Palestine. And he's saying, God is watching as the judge and, and he's gonna bring judgment on the way that you have mistreated people. He wasn't opposed to the fact that they had wealth. He was opposed to two reasons. Do you remember why? 
how they had acquired their wealth through exploiting their labor, and how they have misused their wealth by hoarding it as opposed to using it to alleviate the suffering of the people. And so now today, he turns gears from speaking to the oppressors, he's just speaking to the oppressed. And so if it was judgment for the oppressors, today is hope for the oppressors. How do you go through sufferings? And this is one of the biggest themes in the book of James. When we opened up James chapter 1, it said, Consider all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Like when you experience all sorts of trials, think of it as joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces something in you. It creates steadfastness. And he says, and let, have, let steadfastness have its full effect. It has an effect on you that you might be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. And as the book concludes, he's still speaking to people who are experiencing suffering especially the real hardship of suffering, oppression, when you can't do anything about it. And so there he tells those who are experiencing the oppression of these wealthy landowners to be patient, to be patient. What is patience? We should probably define that, don't you think? Patience is waiting on a future outcome. You're waiting on something to be resolved. There's a period of time between now and when something, an outcome that you desire to happen, will happen. Something will be resolved in the future. And patience is the ability to wait through that period of time. And so the reason people are impatient, the reason I'm an impatient person, is because I lack the ability to journey through the period of time waiting for something to bring to bring resolution to it or to be resolved. And so an impatient person is impatient for two reasons. One, they will not wait for something to be resolved in the future. I'm hungry now. I don't have 30 minutes, Dad. I'm hungry now. I'm not going to wait on anything to be resolved in the future. I want it resolved now. So impatient people when we experience impatience in our own life, it's the inability to wait in that period of time. The second reason that we experience impatience is we're unwilling to wait on someone else's timeline. It's like, okay, I'm willing to wait. I'll give you three minutes. Or I'm willing to wait. I'll give you three days. Or I'll give you three months. But I'm not willing to wait on your timeline when you'll be ready or when you choose to resolve this circumstance. And so impatience comes from the lack of ability to wait on anybody, I want it now, or to let someone else set the time period in which it will be resolved. Well, when you open up James, grab your Bibles, James chapter 5. James says in chapter 5, verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And you're like, oh my gosh, until when? Until the coming of the Lord. Well, I don't get to determine when he shows up. Exactly. Exactly right. And so you need patience, the ability to have a period of waiting that you don't get to direct or determine for the Lord's purposes to be accomplished and for him to bring resolution to this problem. For him to bring resolution. Because when the coming of the Lord comes, he comes as judge where he's going to judge these wealthy oppressors and set things right. 
He's going to come and he's going to wipe every tear from those who have cried. He's going to mend every wound and repair every broken thing in the world. He's going to restore all things. And you're like, amen, brother, bring it now. Like, look around the world. We would love some of that now. What is he waiting for? And I have to wait for his coming? James says, yes, this is our object of hope is that, that we are not able to take things in our own hands and rectify every wrong. In fact, this he's probably speaking directly to some in the community that are known as zealots. Zealots are those who want to bring a resolution to the oppression by violence and revenge. And there's, there's some in the, in the church that he has to speak to and say, okay, time out, guys. I know you want to take things in your own hands. I know you own a sword. I know you want to go by violence and get vengeance, but be patient. The Lord tells us, don't repay evil for evil. Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Instead, pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who cause you harm, Paul will tell us in Romans. And so be patient in a period of time that the Lord has determined and allow him in his own timing to bring resolution. And you're thinking, okay, so we're supposed to just sit here and do nothing? That's what patience sounds like. We just sit here and all these oppressors get away with all sorts of activities and we don't do anything? And if you're thinking that, I'm so glad you're here today because James has you in his mind when he's writing. James thinking of you. To say, no, it's not idleness. So patience is not idleness and, pa and patience is not passivity. As we wait for the Lord to bring resolution, it has nothing to do with idleness and passivity. And to make sure that we get that, he's going to give us several examples of what it looks like to be actively patient, waiting for the Lord to bring resolution. So grab your Bibles, journals. It says, anyone among you, sorry, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So he points to something that they're very familiar with. They're an agrarian society. So they're, they're growing their crops. Everyone is dependent on the ground. And he says, be patient as the farmer. So the first example is, look to the farmer. Now, is a farmer idle and passive? No, you probably couldn't point to someone who's more of a hard worker than the farmer that gets up early, that works throughout the day, that goes to bed late all year long. He says, look at the farmer who waits patiently for the early and late rains. So in Palestine, they were, they were waiting for two rains a year. There's the rains that would come right before they would plant. That's in October, November. And then they would wait for the late rains it's probably somewhere between March, April, and May that would bring a mature crop. And you have to wait for the early rains because the ground is so hard that the early rains actually soften the ground to allow you to plant. So you're dependent on that. And then you're waiting for the later rains that come and really mature the crops. So you get the full harvest. And in between this time, you don't just sit here going, well, we planted, and I guess we'll watch Netflix now. No, what are you doing? You're, you're pulling weeds. You're fertilizing the soils. You're working on equipment. You're caring for the farms. Like you're constantly busy. You're working as you wait, as you are patient. What are you patient for? 
You're patient for the Lord to bring about the resolution, the rains. You see, this phrase, the early and the late rains, is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about God's faithfulness. When Israel comes into the promised land, he, he describes the land that they're coming into as very different than the, than the land they left. They were enslaved in Egypt, and the Nile would swell, and then it would irrigate the property. So you would actually build irrigation ditches and bring water to your property, very much more industrial. And God says, the land that I'm bringing you into is very different than that. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. It says, for the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for, the eyes of the Lord, your God, are always upon it from beginning of the year, that's the early rains, to the end of the year, the late rains. That's pointing to having to be patiently waiting for God to bring about a resolution, to bring the early and late rains. Though when he does, we are constantly busy between it's not as though he delays these rains either, as though we're looking and go, where are you? Why are you not showing up? You've spent six months again this year. No, the Lord is actively working between the rains. So what is he doing right now? Why doesn't he just wrap this thing up? I mean, there's so much pain and suffering. Why doesn't he just wrap this thing up? What could he possibly be waiting for? Well, Peter tells us in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day, meaning God's outside of our time. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Why is God slow, as we think, in fulfilling the coming of the Lord. He's patiently waiting for all who would come to him to come to him. He desires that no one would perish, that your children or your grandchildren or those that are living today would have the opportunity to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it so that no one would be outside of his family so that everyone would experience life and life eternal. And so if God can be patient with us, what keeps us from being patient with others? Like we should be patient towards others as the Lord is patient towards them. Surely we're not gonna judge them or treat them differently than the Lord treats them. And so we're called to be patient with one another not grumbling with one another, he's going to go on to say. We're, we, we see the patience of the Lord towards us, and so we're willing to extend it towards one another. And so that's one reason why the Lord is slow, as we would think, in his coming. But it's his coming that we put our mind to. That's where our hope comes from, that he will bring full resolution to the problems that we're experiencing. So does that mean we do nothing? Nope, he says, be like the farmer who's active. He's not idle, who's engaged. He's not passive. 
This is why I love being part of this church family. Like last week we celebrated our Micah 6, 8 weekend, our, our mercy and justice weekend that comes from the prophet Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And we highlighted all the ways in which you have been engaged in ministries and opportunities of mercy and justice in this season, waiting between the rains. And so we, we celebrate that there are more than 130 families in our local communities who experienced their houses burning down that you went and relationally and financially have supported. And almost a quarter million dollars has been given to these families. We celebrate the fact that 27 Afghan refugees are being cared by families in this room to help them find employment, housing, jobs, to enroll their, their kids in class, to teach them English, to teach them how to drive, to get all their licensing and papers. Because that's mercy and justice, to care for the immigrant amongst us, to make sure that they're not abused or misused in our society, to care for them. We talk about how we're going to do that locally and then also globally, how we want to care for those who don't have clean water and how we're going to send almost 30 students and high school staff to El Salvador in just a couple of weeks with the Clean Water Project to present communities with clean water filters. Why? Because we care about them in the in-between time, the now and not yet. We don't sit idly by. This is why I can't wait to host the pastors from Haiti who've gone through so much in the last couple of years, the assassination of their president, the total upheaval of the country, looking for all sorts of goods and services that aren't available for our Haitian pastors specifically, who've had gang members overrun their campuses. And to say, why don't you come up here? We'll pay for your travels. And we want to provide space of respite, of rest, of encouragement, of retooling, of equipment that you're gonna to need to be able to send you back and continue to care and love for the people in your communities and ministries. See, these are the patterns of Micah 6, 8, and I can't wait to see what the fruit of it is. Looking back a few years ago, we partnered with our friends at Freedom 58, an international justice mission, IJM, and Love Justice. And we were committed to helping them establish these uh, interference centers on borders of countries where most kids are susceptible to being trafficked. And they were reporting back to us that the, that the interference center that we created, this rescue center, has already rescued 42 children from being trafficked and returning them back to their families. Like that's what we are busy doing. Like the hardworking farmer, not with our hands crossed, not being idle, not being passive, saying, we look to when Jesus will make all things right. I can't wait. I hope it happens this afternoon. But until he does, I am busy with the work that he is busy in. What are the things that his heart beats for? And we want our hearts to beat for those things. And so like the farmer, we are busy at work. Then he goes on. So do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Probably the opposite of patience is a grumbler. And I don't know if you have a grumbler in your family, maybe you have a grumbler in your friend's group. Like you can't even vacation with a grumbler. They're like, oh man, the plane's 15 minutes late. And they got to the hotel and it's like this all-inclusive. They have 15 restaurants and two of them were closed. So then I went to like the Mexican place, but you know what? They only had carne asada. They didn't even have three kinds of chicken like they said on the menu. And you're like, man, I can't even take you anywhere. All you do is grumble. He says, don't be grumblers. 
Remember Israel, when they came out of Egypt, out of being enslaved in Egypt, on their way to the promised land, what were they accused of doing? Grumbling. They'd be like, man, this quail and manna that the Lord provides every single day for us, don't you miss the cucumber sandwiches in Egypt? And you're like, you were enslaved. They're like, yeah, but then we had cucumber sandwiches. Just don't grumble. Be patient. Grumbling is essentially making yourself the judge. I will determine what I have and when I will have it. And when I don't get what I have and when I want it, I will grumble. And the patient person says, I will wait, not in idleness or passivity, but I will wait for you to bring resolution to these things. And I'll be thankful for the work that you're doing in between that I get to participate with. And so don't be a grumbler, he says. Just don't make yourself the judge. The judge is, is God. He's standing at the door. Like, he's like the judge having dressed himself in the chamber room. And the whole court has been sat, and he's just on the other side of the door, and he's about to open it and walk into the courtroom and have court. That's the picture James wants to have, have us have in our minds, is that God, who is the judge, is dressed and ready, and the door just needs to be opened, and court will proceed. Just as an example of suffering and patience, this is that endurance that he's talking about, that steadfastness for the Christian. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. As you look at this group of people, think about the prophets. You just open up your Old Testament and you think, God, goodness gracious, think of someone like Hosea. God calls Hosea to come here. I want you to go and marry a spouse who's a prostitute because that's going to be a, a word picture, a visual aid for Israel of how they have treated me. I've been this faithful spouse in which they have committed all of these adulterous acts against. And just imagine the suffering of him. So you can put him as an example in your mind. Think of the prophet Elijah. Elijah lives in the country where he has corrupt leadership and he has perverted corrupt leaders as kings and queens that are robbing lands and oppressing the people. And they're supposed to be the religious leaders of the day. And he has to go through all that pain and suffering. Or you think of Daniel. Daniel has to go through the whole exile and he's put into foreign lands in Babylon. And there he has to experience the accusations of other keystone leaders who hate him because of his prayer life and his diligence towards the Lord, that they accuse him falsely and get him thrown into a lion's den. What James is saying is, look at how they waited on the Lord and look at the blessing, the fruit in their own life that they experienced, that they got to taste, that they got to see. There's something they know about God that you should know about God. There's a practice of waiting that we should practice in our waiting. And then he gets very specific, as I say, just a group of people, like the prophets, but a very specific person who's probably most famous in the scriptures for the amount of suffering he went through, which is Job. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so if you've got to think of somebody in your mind, let's all think of Job, who lost all of his family members, who lost his financial outlook who had friends come and discourage him, and yet he patiently waited on the Lord. Now, it's funny to me that Job's the example of patience because Job got a bit restless, didn't he? 
Didn't Job have some questions for God? Was he like, this is not fair. And you know what? If I got to stand before God, here are some questions I'd like to ask him. And that's the example James paints for us, is look at Job. And so it's not just this passive, idle waiting of like, well, God gets to do whatever God gets to do. We never ask questions. We never doubt. We never get to press back. We just sit here. He says, no, look at the farmer who's actively working. Look at the prophet who is speaking the words of God, even though no one's listening or hearing or cares. Look at Job, who's willing to bring his doubts and his restlessness to God. Those are all examples of patiently waiting on the Lord. Because who is God? The very end here? Because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's who God is. So how do we strengthen our hearts when we're going through really hard sufferings, especially oppression? Well, we need to look to examples, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ, of how he endured the cross, despising the shame, went through the cross, looking at what it would produce for you and for me, salvation, eternal life. And then we look to these other examples of the farmer and the prophet and Job, and we're strengthened by them, how they endured so much hardship and how we can too as we wait on the Lord. There are other modern examples. I think if James were writing today, he'd point out other examples of people who had great faith through suffering. Modern examples I would think of is someone like Martin Luther King. Like a king experiences an oppression in his life that I've never experienced. I've never experienced the oppression of living in a state in which people judge me or treat me by the color of my skin. He's more like, King, how do you get through it? So I love to read the journal entries and the sermons of King because you find things like this. This is what King says. I just wrote it down on a little sticky note. King says, God is still around. One day you're going to need him. The problems of life will begin to overwhelm you. Disappointments will begin to beat upon the door of your life like a tidal wave. And if you don't have a deep and patient faith, you aren't going to be able to make it. That's king. Like, king, what is it that gets you through these marches? I mean, you're not responding in violence or vengeance, and yet you're not idle or passive, but willing to love your oppressor. What is it? He goes, oh, you need a deep and patient faith. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. That's what James here calls the fact that we would have a resolute heart, that we'd have established hearts in the Lord. Establishing your heart is a resolute heart. It's like a spiritual backbone that's rooted in a deep and patient faith. Then I have to look for other examples because that just seems almost like otherworldly that someone could go through that. And so I gotta look, start looking at my own family and look to my mom and my dad who've been married for decades now. And I know that their marriage was not always easy. I watched really challenging seasons unfold with them. And now seeing that they're still married, like that gives me my hope and my encouragement for my own marriage, for really hard seasons. Like, this isn't fun. This isn't easy. How am I going to get through? With deep, patient faith. 
knowing that this isn't the end of the story. And to endure maybe weeks, maybe months, perhaps years, and still be married. That's what patient faith looks like. And I have those examples in my life. I know you have those examples in yours. And then not only my own family, I start looking in this room and I just start seeing how patient faith works itself out in so many arenas. I see families in this room that have experienced terminal illness diagnoses. You think of Josh and Kathy Gagliardi with brain tumors. You think of Chris and Carly Kratzer with cancer. And you watch them depend on the Lord and watch the Lord carry them through these treatments. One as the one who's experiencing the suffering, and the other person as the caregiver, which is equally as difficult at times. You say, how do they do it? How does their marriage not fall apart? For the enduring, patient faith in the Lord. They're looking to the Lord. There are so many families. When you think of the Afghan families or the Calvary families that are working with the Afghan families, you think, man, that's so much time, so much commitment, so much sacrifice. How do they do it? Well, you start going, just go ask the Christensen's. How do you do it? And they'll tell you about their faith. Go ask the drivers. How do you do it? And they're going to tell you about their faith. They're going to tell you about where they're looking to the Lord, busying themselves in the work of the Lord today. And so this is our examples right here. Look at the farmer, look at the prophet, look at Job, look around you. Who do you know in your life that becomes an example of persevering, enduring faith through hardship so that you don't give up? I hope you have those in your life. And then he ends with this, but above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. When you're suffering, it's so easy to start cutting corners, being sly, telling half-truths, because you're just trying to survive. I get it. And here he tells this community who's experiencing this suffering, says, in all of these things, above all these things, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be the kind of woman, be the kind of man that you don't have to go, I swear on the Bible. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear in heaven. I swear on earth. I swear, just, just tell me your word. Let your word be yes or no, and then let that be the end of it. Let your yes be the same worth coming out of your mouth as it is in your signature on a hundred page legal document. I can trust both. They're no different to me. My youngest son, Jack, learned a really good lesson, an object lesson in this, as he observed another young kid, let his yes be yes and his no be no. Matthew's older brother, Matthew, plays on a baseball team. And Jack was hanging out in the dugout. He doesn't play on the team, but he's hanging out in the dugout. And they're playing games in the dugout because, well, it's baseball. It's super slow. So they hang up one of their backpacks super high, and another kid named Calvin says, Jack, I'll bet you a dollar you can't flip the helmet up and land in the backpack. So Jack grabs this helmet. And I, I don't see this. There's no parents around. I find about this later. And he flips up the helmet, and it lands perfectly in the backpack. Well, Calvin doesn't have a dollar on him. So a few days later, we're at practice. I have no knowledge of this, of this whole event. I'm playing catch with a couple of kids. 
um, as we're just warming up, and Calvin comes up to me and goes, you know, hey, Mr. Milburn? I said, yes. He says, I owe Jack a dollar. And he hands me four quarters. I said, what do you owe Jack a dollar? I'm like, what did Jack do to scam a dollar out of you? You know? He said, he said no, I, I, I told Jack I'd give him a dollar if he could flip the helmet up in the backpack. And so will you give this to Jack? And so I went home. I said, Jack, did Calvin bet you a dollar that you, could, that you couldn't flip the helmet up into the backpack? He goes, yeah. I said, here is the dollar that Calvin said he'd give you. Now, here's the lesson that you have to learn, Jack, that there were no parents watching, that there's no one to hold him accountable. And his word was, I'll give you a dollar if you can do this. And you did it. And then you hadn't even forgotten about it. And he went home, found four quarters out of his piggy bank and brought them to you. That young man is a man of integrity. And you want to be a man of integrity. For this world is filled with men and women who are not. And so I tell you, any graduating senior in this room, any graduating student going into the world after college, this is probably one of the most fundamental things that you could learn, is to be a man or a woman of integrity. That your yes means yes, and your no means no, and no one will bring any condemnation or accusation against you because you are firm in your word. And so James is just giving very practical advice to those who are suffering oppression, can't do anything about it, is put your hope in the resolution of God, what Jesus will do. And be patient, like the farmer, like the prophet, like Job, like those you know in your community, and be people of integrity. That will carry you through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy it is to be gathered as your people this morning. We pray that you would build in us a patient, enduring faith that trusts in the coming of the Lord. And so, Father, may we not be idle or passive and just wait. May we be active like the farmer. May we continue to share truth like the prophet's May we bring our doubts and our struggles and our wrestlings to you like Job. May we have a deep and patient faith like those who have walked before us. And Father, I pray for the men and women in this room that you'd give them the courage to let their yes be yes and their no be no. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.